So Lord, this morning as we pray, God, it's a, a declaration of our need for you. Lord, um, we sing that song, but Lord, we, we want it to be more than a song. God, truly, if it's not your spirit working in us, God, we can't do the things that you tell us to do. Father, we can't open up your word this morning and understand it. Lord, we can't draw near to you if it's not for what you have done to help us to draw near. So Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit, the helper, would meet with us this morning, help us to understand your word. We pray that you would draw our hearts close to you. Lord, we pray that we would be ready to hear and then Lord, to do what you tell us to do. So God, we do need you. Lord, I wanna pray right now for anyone that is just struggling in faith. Lord, they're struggling with the things that are right in front of them. Lord, the, the trials, the things that are overwhelming. God, sometimes the circumstances that just seem like they, they don't go away. It's been a long time. Lord, maybe it has failure written all over it. Maybe it has fear. But Lord, this morning, we just declare we need you. Lord, meet with us. Lord, bless this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. All right, well, welcome, and if you uh, don't have a Bible in the front of your seats, there are these blue Bibles. You could grab one of those, and you can follow along. We are going to be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. Um, the youth, welcome to sitting in uh, because Josh is just exhausted. Josh and Erica, they've been, uh, they did the Peru, um, the, the fundraiser dinner. He's been working on weekends and uh, just... Um, just took a day off and just said, uh, yeah, um, let's pray that he and Erica and their family get that rest. Um, and then this morning, as we go into Romans chapter 15, I want to ask you before we get into the text about your plans, I just want you to think about some plans that you might have, uh, plans for today, plans for tomorrow. Maybe, maybe you have some plans for retirement. Maybe you have plans for next week or next month or next year. And this morning, as we look in Romans chapter 15, uh, I want to ask the question, are our plans open to the plan checker, which is God? Uh, my dad worked for the city of Los Angeles for 37 years. Um, he was a civil engineer, and the thing that he was primarily was a plan checker. And uh, people would bring their plans, uh, they would bring their drawings to him, and he would look at them. He would compare them to the codes of the city and, and the county. Then he would uh, just compare them to laws of physics. Is this building going to stand up? Is this foundation going to be strong enough? Are you using the right materials? And then he would tell them what to do with those plans. And sometimes people would try to bypass the plan checker, right? You don't want to bring him to the plan checker because he might cause you to change your plans. That would cause you a delay, which you don't want to delay. And maybe that would even cause you some, some financial difficulty if you go to the plan checker and he says, you need to strengthen this part of your building. I think that there are times when it comes to our relationship with God that many times in the same way, we don't want to bring our plans to the plan checker. We don't want to bring our plans to God because God might say, you know what, the, the foundation isn't quite set or the materials that you're using they're not strong enough or or maybe you got to scrap it and i want you to start over and no one wants to hear scrap it and start over when we're so vested into it but this morning it's all about plans and paul the apostle has plans and by the way planning is not wrong 
Some of you are, are planners. Um, if you're like me, you have a, a digital calendar that has reminders that come up, and then you set the reminders. And then on Google Calendar, you're only allowed to remind yourself four weeks in advance. So I, I do this double thing where like eight weeks in advance, it reminds me, and then, and then it reminds me that it's coming up, and that helps me to plan and think about what's going on ahead. And then some of you are just kind of like, hey, you know what, let's just figure out what we're going to do today, today. And I'll wake up today, and then today I'll figure out what are my plans today. Well, that balance of life in the Spirit is that God wants us to submit our plans to Him, our thoughts to Him, and actually asking Him to give us His plans. It says in Proverbs that when we commit our way to the Lord, He'll establish our thoughts. So maybe He gave you a thought for something in the future, some type of planning. But then our plans have to be um, flexible. We need to be open to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit because he could do something totally different than what we had initially planned. So I want you to pick up with me in Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 14. And if you remember last week, we, we looked at how God had a plan for these Gentiles. And if you go back chapter 14 and 15 together, it was this whole thing of ministry and life together where we're sensitive to other people's um, scruples and, and their liberties. Some people are more restricted. Some people believe that God has given them these certain parameters to live their lives by. Other people have more freedoms. And I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about things that are um, those non-essentials that scripture doesn't specifically address. And some people say, I could eat this food, or I could celebrate these holidays, or I could drink this drink. And other people are like, no, you can't do those things. And so Paul wrote to us about how to get along, how to understand one another, how to love, how not to judge people that have more liberties. And if you have more liberties, not to despise the people that don't have as many liberties. And now we get to this section in Romans chapter 15. And I think that Paul is doing what sometimes a good parent will do when you realize that as a parent, you're saying some things to your kids and then you realize that you sound like you're preaching at them and you sound like they're not doing the things that you're telling them to do. And sometimes you don't mean to sound that way. You're just telling them things that are good and sometimes their perception might be, you think I'm failing in all of these things that you're telling me about. And I don't care what, what age you are. I'm not just talking to like, to, to like youth and teenagers. I'm talking about like, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s. And a couple of weeks ago, I had this conversation with my mom. We're on the phone and she's telling me about things that she's reminding me of. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, mom, time out, time out. I'm doing the things that you're telling me. I'm, it's not like I'm not doing those things and raising my kids. You know, you live in Southern California. We live up here. And, and believe me, every day I'm asking God for wisdom. And she said, Matt, it's not that you're not doing those things. I just, I wanted to remind you. And then she said, I didn't realize you were so sensitive about that. <laughs> so, so she adds that as only a mother could do. Um, so Paul just read with me in chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now remember this, when Paul is writing the letter to the Christians in Rome, um, he's never visited them. 
He hasn't had this face-to-face contact with these Christians that are there in Rome. And I don't know about you, but this is a pretty long letter, right? I mean, we've been studying it for a year almost. And you think about Paul writing this letter to people he's never met, and then somewhere in there he's saying, I don't want you to think that this letter is correcting everything that you're doing wrong. He did that to the Galatians, by the way. When you read the letter to the Galatians, when you read uh, the letter to the Corinthians, those were correction letters. Those were letters that were his love for them, his concern for them, but it was also a lot of correction on things that they were doing wrong. But, but here to the Romans, he's telling them, look, I'm confident concerning you. He calls them, he says, my brethren. He wants them to know he, he doesn't see them as inferior they're brothers and sisters in Christ. The word brethren, it's this word that, that encompasses the body of Christ to be a family. Brothers and sisters together in Christ with God as our father. And he calls them brethren. He says, hey, you also are full of goodness. He, he wants them to know, I'm not sharing all of these things with you because I don't think that you are filled with the goodness of God. You're filled with all knowledge. He He explains to them, it's not like he's being remedial with them because they don't know. Sometimes we take it that way. And sometimes we can be sensitive when someone is telling us something that we already know. Uh, There's just something about our pride as human beings, our, our flesh nature, that when someone tells us something that we already know, we have this attitude like, I know. It's like, why are you telling me that? I already know. Uh, and believe me, that attitude, um, it, it's, it's in all of us. And Paul is telling them, hey, I, I know that you're filled with all knowledge. Also, you're, you're able to admonish one another. Now, remember that because Paul had not yet gone to Rome, I really believe that Paul's heart, when we read in the book of Acts, he wants to go to Rome. Uh, you've heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. The Roman Empire built roads that went all throughout Europe. And because the Roman Empire built those roads, it made travel uh, much more accessible, much, much easier. Paul realized if we reach Rome, we reach the world. Rome shapes culture. Rome shapes the thoughts of people. Rome shaped the language. If he could reach Rome. And so because he couldn't get there physically, he writes this letter ahead of time. And this letter is Paul's magnum opus. It, it's his greatest letter of, of a, an epistle to teach. This is what the Christian life looks like. And notice that in chapters 1 through 11, it's more about what God has done for us. Do you realize that my relationship with God, your relationship with God, is based primarily on what he has done for you and me? It's not like, hey, we're trying to earn it. And like we bring this 50-50 relationship, like God, you meet us halfway and we'll meet you halfway. No, it's like we're just lame and we're just trying to like make a little effort and it's just this gift of, of grace, even that we would have faith to call out to him and then God meets us where we are. But then chapter 12 through the rest of the letter, it's now what do we do with this knowledge? And Paul says this, and this is something really important for us to hear. He says, you also are are, are able to admonish one another. Now, remember this. Paul did not, um, he did not pioneer, he did not plant the church in Rome. 
This is what could be known as a second generation church. Um, in, in Calvary Chapel, for example, when, when Chuck Smith planted Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, from there, there were some people that were with him that went to plant other churches. Then from those people, they went to plant other churches. I would be considered, in a sense, like a, a third generation guy because Raul Reese was there with Pastor Chuck and then Raw planted a church in West Covina, and then I was a part of that church, and then I moved up to, to Gilroy, I planted a church in Gilroy, and I was with Don in San Jose. And, and it, Lord willing, there's going to be many more church plants that come out of ministry that happens. But Paul is saying that your ministry is not inferior to that first ministry that was there. Paul is saying to the Romans, you are able to admonish one another. Now, let me tell you what the word admonish means. It means to warn and to reprove. We're used to that. We, we think of admonishment in that way. But it also means to put into mind. That's what the word admonish means, to put into mind. So if you are with a friend and you just see something that is good to do, and, and maybe you're, you're thinking about going down to um, serve the homeless at the, at the shelter and you're thinking about it and you convince someone else, hey, let's go do this. You know what you're doing? You're admonishing them to do that. You're putting that thought into their mind. You're taking your ideas and your thoughts and what you see and what God has shown you and you're putting it into their, their mind. Now, the same thing is true for one another because we need to put it into other people's minds. We need to correct at times or reprove and sometimes just exhort or encourage to good works. Now, we live in a culture in a day and age where you just don't do that because nobody wants to be told what they should do. And especially, nobody wants to be corrected. And we almost live this unspoken rule that I will be corrected spiritually by a pastor. I will be corrected spiritually by um, someone in spiritual authority but not by you, because you're just an equal to me. In fact, I see you a little bit inferior to me. So I'm really not going to receive anything from you. And when we have that attitude, it's a wrong attitude. Paul says you are able to admonish one another. In the body of Christ, if you all are not admonishing one another, we will be a very weak body. If you are not doing, if there is not a multiplication of the words of God, of discipleship, of the words of truth being multiplied and there's correction and encouragement. If it only happens here on a Sunday morning, then we will be very weak. Not only because we won't be receiving from others, but don't we grow when we teach someone else? I mean, there are times when I was in some math class that I could barely, I'm barely getting this concept. And I'm thinking, I, I, in a test, I might be able to regurgitate a part of this answer. But then someone is more lost than me. And they say, hey, can you, can you explain this to me? And as I start to explain it to them, you know what happens? I start to understand it a little bit more. Admonishing one another doesn't just strengthen the person that's admonished. It actually strengthens the admonisher, if that's a word, the admonisher. It strengthens the admonisher. You think about a team. You need more voices than just the coach. Sometimes a coach's voice, um, it just gets lost. 
I love that coach. Maybe that coach has been on the team and, and they're not hearing it. But then when one of the other players gets up and starts to admonish the other players, if you've ever coached, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you need another player to say the same thing that you're saying so that they hear it from someone else. What about in a family? In a family, do you think that that's important? I'll tell you that in, in a family, um, I was talking to Mike McClure a few weeks ago. His grandmother uh, passed away just a few weeks ago. And he, he said, my, my grandmother was the prayer warrior of our family. She was the one that we knew all of us and the grandkids and the great grandkids were being prayed over. She was a part of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And, and actually, it was commented at her funeral that when she went home to be with the Lord, before then, she had, um, she had come down with dementia and her prayer ministry suffered as a result of that. And the people from the church said, we could feel and we noticed when she wasn't able to pray and show up. Because you know what she would do? She would show up every Sunday morning before the church service and just pray over that church service. And what Mike said at the funeral is, hey, now it's up to us to step up and to fill that place. But you know what? You don't have to wait till someone passes away to fill that place. Paul is saying, I'm not even there, but you are able, you have enough biblical knowledge to admonish one another. Now, now I understand biblical training, it's important, and we should grow, and we should learn, and there's Bible college, and there's seminary. But if you've been a Christian, maybe for a year, you already know enough to be able to teach someone else some things. You already, you don't know everything, I don't know everything, but you already know enough to teach some people some things. So, Paul is just encouraging them to reprove one another. And by the way, as a pastor, it's not like, oh, okay, anyone can be corrected or um, exhorted except the pastor. No, it's not true. You know, I I received a phone call from a friend of mine um, maybe about a month ago. And it was just a reproof that he had for me. He wasn't sure if it applied to me, but he just, he had something that he wanted to share with me. And the reason why I accepted it and I was really thankful is because I have a relationship with him. I know that he loves me. I know that he he has my best interest at mind. I know that he prays for me. If you want to have that impact in another person's life, it begins by relationship and it begins by showing them that you love them. I'll tell you, reproof is really difficult from strangers, isn't it? A stranger comes into your life and just tries to reprove you. And I'll tell you, it's everything not to hit them, right? Because you're, you're just thinking, oh yeah, I, I mean, you're telling, me how to ra- you're telling me how to raise my kids or you're telling me how to do you know, this or whatever. And, and it's someone that doesn't even know you. They don't know your circumstances. Well, so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, I'm not there yet. You know, I, I want to visit you, but you have enough of the things of God to be able to reprove one another. Now in verse 15, and by the way, He also calls them to that responsibility. We have a responsibility to encourage, exhort one another. It's not just we have the the go-ahead by Paul. Paul's saying, do that. Do that. One comedian said, if you see something, that you need to say something. And uh, he's talking about seeing something and saying something. 
And he said the place where he sees something and, and says something is at restaurants. You ever go to a restaurant and you're in the restroom? And uh, in the restroom, someone goes into a stall. And then you're at the, the sink and you're washing your hands. And as you're washing your hands, the person leaves the stall and they bypass the sink and they walk right back into the restaurant. And you're done washing your hands and you walk out and you see him at this table with all of his friends eating a collective plate of nachos. <laughs> and he said, if I see that, I just have to say something. And I go up to those people and say, hey, I just want you to know your friend went to the bathroom and didn't wash his hands. Think and walks right away. He's like, because he doesn't want their lives to be ruined. Well, do you, do you think that sometimes in the body of Christ that we should, if we see something, say something? Because we love them, because there's relationship? Now in verse 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written to you more boldly on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. So he says, okay, even though you're able to admonish one another, I'm writing to you really boldly on some points. And I'm, I'm really emphasizing some things here. And um, he emphasizes these things, but he explains to them, he is simply reminding them. I know you guys know these things, but I'm reminding you. Hey, I, I know that you're full of goodness and the things of God. You're able, you have knowledge, but I just want to remind you of some of these things. And again, the apostles had such a ministry of reminding. I think parents, we, we live the ministry of reminding. Reminding um, our kids of things that they already know. And I, I know that there's a balance in that. So Paul is prefacing it with, I know you guys already know these things. Um, it, and by the way, it's okay when people tell us something that we already know. Um, it's easier for me now. I won't say it's easy. It's easier for me now. Actually, I look forward to it many times when my mom reminds me of things. There's a comfort in it now. There wasn't a comfort in it when I was growing up. It was just like, I already know those things. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I, I want you to keep your hand here in Romans. Turn with me to the book of John. So before Romans, there's the book of Acts. Before Acts, there's the, the book of John. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 26. You know, I could read this for you, but I, I wanted you to turn there because there is something about reading something and seeing it um, where it, it just kind of solidifies something. Jesus is the one that is speaking here. And in verse chapter 14 of John, verse 26, this is what Jesus says. But the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and what? Bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and also to remind us of things that Jesus has already told us. In fact, that's a good prayer to pray. Pray, pray Jesus, could you please remind me um, Holy Spirit, would you remind me of the things that pertain to, to God? Things that are, I need to be reminded. Um, we just got back Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We were in Elk Grove at uh, the Northern California Pastors Conference. And they taught through the book of Philippians. And I'll tell you, 
There were things that I needed to be reminded of that I didn't know that I needed to be reminded of until I heard it. Then when I heard it, I realized I, I needed to hear that. So sometimes we, we need to hear things that we don't even know that we need to hear. So when it comes, accept it. The Holy Spirit ministers in that way to remind us of things. I, I think that it, it's great as we learn and we grow and we learn new things. But honestly, for me as a believer now, at, at this point in time, um, most of what I grow from and learn from, a great majority of it is not anything new. It, it, there are some things, but the great majority is being reminded of things that I need to hear again. Maybe even things that I know, but I'm not putting that into practice. And I need to put that into practice. So turn back to Romans chapter 15. So now Paul goes on to share his plans with them, um, his plans with the Christians in Rome. Paul believed that God had put this into his heart, and because he believed that this plan came from God, he wasn't, not negli- he wasn't negligent to do the things that he felt like God put it in his heart to do. See, sometimes we could plan and we could, we could pray for vision or wisdom or direction, and then we feel like God gave us that vision or wisdom or direction But the question is this, what do I now do with that plan? Paul believed that God was calling him to do these things. And believe me, he was not negligent to do the things that God had called him to do. It says in verse 16, he shares his mission focus. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to whom? To the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified or made holy by the Holy Spirit. This is like a a priestly ministry. The words that are used here that Paul uses are are the words of a a priestly ministry from the Old Testament priest. So Paul sees a very uh, weighty and important ministry that he's doing in presenting the Gentiles as an offering. And the Gentiles themselves, they become an acceptable offering unto the Lord. So this offering, notice that that service is also worship. So when we say worship in in English, um, we say worship, it it comes from a a Latin word that says worthship. It it means worthy. So the word also for us, worship, it's a very similar word if you look at the Greek word to a word that means work, work and worship. So what we do becomes worship. So we sing, and by the way, the violin was just, is that awesome? That's that's just such a great thing to hear. Um, I know that some of you have, you know, musical talents and gifts. Use them for the Lord and just say, God, uh, expound that because there's a beautiful ministry in that. But this is not all worship. Worship is, how do you treat the people in your house? How do you talk to your friends? How do you work at work? How do you do your homework? How do you run your sprints at practice? How do you take care of your finances? How do you deal with your parents? How do you deal with your children? All of that, that is all a part of worship. So that when we sing, what comes out of our heart is something that is spirit and truth. It's reality it, it's it's not just singing the words but i want those things to be true of me and so paul 
offers, he says, this is an offering. This is my ministry, these Gentiles. And he knows that he's writing to a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles together. And he's explaining this to both at the same time because he wants both of them to hear this. He doesn't want just the Gentiles to hear this, to exclude the Jews. And he doesn't want just the Jews to hear this. He wants both of them to hear this. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, I have reason to glory, to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God or the things of God. What do you glory in? What do I glory in? Paul had reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things of God, not in himself. God will not share his glory with other people. So he glories in the things of God that God has done through him, but he explains it's only because God has done these things through me. Apart from Christ, I couldn't, I can't do these things. Um, you know, another aspect of Paul being a minister to the Gentiles that I find very interesting. If you think about Paul's life, what group of people, in your opinion, is he tailor-made for? To me, it's the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He, he was a ruler. I mean, uh, Paul just being this uh, incredible Jewish mindset, being raised under Gamaliel. He understands their law. He was like them in his zeal. And then he comes to this faith in Christ where he realized that Jesus is the Messiah and that we're not saved by good works. I just think that Paul would be the perfect person to go to the Jews. What apostle do you think would be really great for Gentiles, for non-Jewish people? There's a guy named Peter. Peter is a fisherman, blue-collar guy doing business, working with these guys all the time, side by side. He's kind of a gruff fisherman. Just seems perfect for the Gentiles to me. And God says, Peter, your ministry is to the Jews. Paul, your ministry is to the Gentiles. Now, God doesn't always do that. Sometimes he calls you to minister to people that you can relate to, but sometimes he calls you to relate to people that you're different than to show them that there is a love that is not just because you look alike and you act alike and you have the same background. That's why missionary work is important. It's important to show people the love. It's one of the things that you have an opportunity to say when you're in a foreign place and people are saying, why are you here and he said, because I came all of this way, I spent, the, I took this expense and this time to let you know that God loves you and he, he cares for you. And then it's great when people from that place just take up that mantle and continue that ministry. But I've heard people say, oh, missionaries, you know, they shouldn't, people shouldn't go to other cultures to minister outside of their own culture. I see Paul doing that outside of his own culture, giving this ministry to the Gentiles. Maybe some of you have a ministry where you're thinking, why in the world did God put me here? You look at the people around you and you're different. You look at the people that you go to school with, that you work with, and you're just, you're just so different than them. And maybe it's so that you could share this message that they realize, man, this God must really love me because this person that is so different than me still cares about me. So this is Paul's ministry. In verse 18, he says, I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to um, Illyricum, and I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So Paul's ministry, 
to lead the Gentiles into obedience to Christ. Um, he talks about what he has accomplished through Christ alone. Notice it's in word and deed. Word, what you say. Deed, what you do. I believe it was St. Francis of Assisi that said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And yes, use words and use deeds. It's not an either or proposition. It's not this thing like, well, these people are gonna get saved because I, I dig the best ditches. And when I dig those ditches, I do it with joy and I do it with passion and zeal because this is the job that God has given to me and I'm gonna dig the best ditches that I can. And you never open up your mouth and tell them about Christ or you never just open up your mouth and say, thank God for this, this job that I've been given. You just never open up that even when the doors are open. And sometimes we pray for open doors and I think that sometimes the open door just needs to hit us in the face, right? I don't know if an open door can do that, but I guess it can if you're like, but, but the, it needs to swing open and hit us in the face. There are times that the open doors are right there. One time I was at a Blockbuster video store. I still remember because, you know, Blockbuster videos, they were around back then. And I'm sitting in line and I'm in a hurry. I want to get home. It's getting late. It's taking forever to pick the movie. And I just want to get home and watch the thing, I'm trying to get out of there. And there was a Life magazine in the rack. And in the Life magazine, there was this picture, and it was something about, like, the meaning of life or, you know, something to that effect. And these guys are behind me, and they're talking. And one guy looks at that magazine, and he says, what's the meaning of life anyway? Now, dumb me, get my video, get in the car, drive away, and the Holy Spirit is like, chump. I just opened a door. You pray for open doors. And here's a guy in line right behind you that says out loud. He doesn't just think it in his head. He actually says it through his mouth. Uh, what's the meaning of life anyway? I missed it. Missed it. That's a bad feeling to miss it. So we, we need to pray that God opens up that door for ministry in word and deed. God gave Paul the apostle these mighty signs and wonders. It confirmed that he really was an apostle that he really was one of those so that when he wrote the bible why do we read his letter and not like a bunch of other people's letters paul was one of the apostles he was ordained by god to be a spokesman so that these words are inspired by the spirit and when he would write to the romans there was some authority with it can god still work in these mighty signs and wonders today absolutely god can do that but we also now have the authority of the word of God. And that authority of the word of God is the authority that we stand on. Where did his ministry go? From Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is all through the Mediterranean. If you look at a map, I mean, Paul, and this is at a time when travel was very, very difficult. He's trying to catch rides on ships, looking for different ways that he can get from one place to another place. I mean, if you tr have ever traveled across the country, you know that that takes a long time. There's planning, there's, and, and that's with cars and airplanes. And Paul's doing this either by foot, many times by boat. In verse 20, and so I have made it my aim, and here's the focus of his ministry, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I, sh lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he, is, he was not announced, they shall see. Those who have not heard shall understand. 
It's a quote from Isaiah 52, 15. It's a messianic um, uh, prophecy as well. But, but Paul had this pioneer spirit to spread the gospel around the world. Now, as far as I know, there are many people in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our cities that still have not heard the gospel. They've heard parts of it. They know parts of Jesus. They might know what they they think they know from television or from sitcoms when there's a Christian in a sitcom being portrayed as a buffoon. They, They think, oh, I know. Or they know from Facebook. I, I know what a Christian is. I see it on Facebook, you know. They, there are many people that still have not heard the gospel. But understanding this as well, Paul's ministry was to be this pioneer. Not everybody is to be that pioneer to these unnamed places. Um, Wycliffe Bible translators, they go into places where people have not even heard, that they don't even have the, the Bible in their language, and they spend time with these people, and they translate the Bible into their language so that these people can hear the gospel and they could learn about God. But not all of us have that ministry. This is not a prescriptive verse that says, don't go and minister where someone has already ministered. Now, granted, there is something about, yeah, if, if someone has a fellowship of Christian athletes and, and they're trying to get this thing going at the school, don't go ahead and start this um, ministry of Christian athletes, you call it, and like try to at the same time compete. Just join them and see if your, your heart and vision are the same and try to help them. But Paul, at this point in time, has this incredible pioneer spirit, and this is where I believe it applies to us. Do you remember Jesus stopped on the road when he was walking? And there was this, this small guy named Zacchaeus who wanted to see who Jesus was, and he climbed up in a tree. And Jesus is walking by, and he stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, for I'm going to come, and I'm going to have dinner at your house. And I want you to listen to this. Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, today's salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. And then Jesus said this, for the son of man, that's Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The ministry of Jesus is not, hey, all of you lost, come here. Hey, anyone that is lost, come here. It is not only that, it is to seek and to save. That means if God has given us a seek and save mission, because it's the great co-mission, it's not just our mission. He says, I'm sending you, I'll be with you always. It's the great co-mission. God has sent us to seek and to save, to look for people that don't know Christ. I just, you know, we have that map over there. It says, um, you know, there's these pins. You know, you pray for missionaries around the world. Those are missionaries that we support. But then on that other one is just a county map. And there are some pins that represent people here and where you live. But don't let that just be a cool little nifty thing. I've been to restaurants before where they have that same thing, and I'm kind of blown away. Like, wow, there's people at this restaurant here in Santa Cruz. They, they're from Malaysia or they're from wherever. Like, oh, cool. That, that is like, I need to see myself as a missionary wherever I am. You need to see yourself as a missionary wherever you are. And look, are there, are there people that don't know the Lord around you? Do they work with you? Do they go to school with you? 
Do they live in your neighborhood? Do they play on your teams? Are some of them your teachers? Are some of them your, your bosses? They all need the Lord. And it's not like this thing of like, hey, that's work and this. If you went to mainland China or some of the communistic countries and you're a missionary, what do you do primarily there? You get a job. You get a job, a, a valid job and a reason to be there. You're teaching or you're in some profession, you're doing IT work, but you're also looking for opportunities to build relationships so that people can get to know you so that you could share the love of Christ with them. So don't think that that is only something that we do overseas. It's something that we do in our neighborhoods and wherever we are. Um, and by the way, with Paul and this incredible uh, pioneer spirit, I think it is so cool. It says in Psalm 107, 23, those who go down to the sea in ships will see the wonders of the Lord and his works in the deep. Any of you know any famous Jewish sailors? I don't. What about um, the dread pirate Eli? You know, no, no, we don't. I, I don't know any famous pirates or sailors or explorers that are Jewish, but I'll tell you, Paul was one of them. He didn't sail the ship, you know, but he was on those ships and he was willing to go out to sea, which for Jewish people at this time, it was a very scary thing. The sea represented chaos and the unknown. And it was something that they, they didn't travel out to sea very often. But Paul was willing to do it for the sake of the gospel, to reach as many people as he could. Now we close with this partnership in verse 22. It says, uh, for this reason, I also have been much hindered in coming uh, to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. Listen that Paul said, my ministry, first of all, is to plant churches, to preach the gospel in places where Christ has not been named. But you know what? We have spread out to this whole area. Now we could spread out towards Rome. And Paul says something. This has always been his heart and desire to do this. But God had him doing some things first in order to get to that place. Remember I told you at the beginning of our, our time together about plans. Some of the plans that God may have put into your heart are not for the right now. Some of those plans are for the later, but there is ministry right in front of you for the right now. And sometimes we can miss the here and now ministry because we're so looking forward to the future and what God will do in the someday. Paul said, no, I wanted to come to you. I've wanted to do this for years. That's my heart to come to you. But I've been doing this thing that God has called me to do. And now that ministry is kind of wrapping up and now I could move on. And now I could reach out all the way there to where you are in Rome. And notice this, he says that um, I'm gonna do it on my way to Spain. I still need to get to Spain, but I'm gonna stop by and I'm gonna spend some time with you. Why? It, not only that they would be mutually encouraged, but he says, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Hospitality and spending time with people is not a waste of time. It is a very godly, worthwhile endeavor. In fact, as a Christian, do you, do you realize God didn't just save you for your functionality and the giftings that you have? It's not this assembly line, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, 
could show, you know, he's, yeah, okay, did you download the gift? Yeah, down, okay, poosh, you know, poosh. he's just like pressing us out all, all over the world. He wants to spend time with you. He loves when his children spend time with him. I love when my kids spend time with me. I love hanging out with friends, just being together. And Paul is saying that part of his reason for going to them is that he just might enjoy their company for a while. I think it's one of the important things of the short-term missions. If someone is living in another country and there is a short-term mission team that is able to come for a week or a couple of weeks to spend time with them. I've been on the mission field with missionaries that live there. And I'll tell you that it is so refreshing to them. And that short amount of time that you spend with them, it's exponential in how much it fills them for months. Sometimes it fills them for years. I have a friend in the Philippines that, that one time I was coming to the Philippines when he was going to another place and our only, our only passing, it just happened to be we were going to meet in the airport on the way to opposite places and we got 10 minutes together and he wrote like how awesome that time was, how encouraged he was just spending that time together. Don't underestimate the power of friendship. And how maybe there's a friend that God is putting on your heart just to visit and encourage. No agenda, but just spending time that you might have joy with them. And then he calls them to partner financially. Notice in verse 25, but now I am going to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm coming to you guys on my way to Spain. But right now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints there. Verse 26, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Now, this is amazing. I don't have time to go super in-depth into this, but look at the word in verse 26, contribution. Does anyone have a different word there? You know, um, those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor. Does any translation have a different word there? Or does it say contribution in all of them? Offering? Okay, contribution, offering. Let me tell you what the word is, because this blew me away to look it up in the Greek. The word here is the word koinonia. Now, does any, do any of you know what the word koinonia means? It means, what is, what is it? A deep friendship, fellowship, okay? We, we have this word, if you're applying for a scholarship, let's say you have a research grant to Stanford and you're going to research bloodborne pathogens and then you find out you get this award letter in the mail and it says that you received a fellowship what does that mean cha-ching <laughs> it's not like you get to hang out with some scientists like some scientists are going like hey let's go out to coffee let's talk about blood you know and i received a fellowship it's no i received some money that's going to help me to do the thing that i need to do and the word that is used there is this word koinonia and paul says hey I, I, the Christians that are there in Macedonia, which is like Philippi in that area, they're helping. They want some fellowship with the Christians in Jerusalem. So what are they doing? They are sending money to help them because they need some money to do what God's called them to do and even just to survive. And so when we partner with the Lord in fellowship in that way, or we partner with other ministries in fellowship, the word koinonia is a word that, that Christians, it was coined to describe the deep, intimate relationships that Christians have with one another. And part of that deep, intimate relationship between the Christians in Philippi and the Christians in Jerusalem 
was that they partnered together financially. And I want you to see all of this big picture with Paul going to the Romans. I want to see you face to face that we might have joy together. But then also there's this fellowship, this gathering of a contribution for the poor. And then it says in verse uh, 27, it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Again, taking the example of Israel and the Gentiles, Israel was the root and the Gentiles were the branches that were benefiting from what God had done through the Jews. The Christians in Jerusalem, that's where the church grew and started, but then missions went out. Paul went over to Macedonia, planted the church, and now the church in Macedonia was stronger financially to be able to help the Jews in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. We planted the church in Gilroy as a church plant out of San Jose during the, uh, you know, 2007 when the economy went really down and San Jose was left to this place where they weren't able to make payroll. And we were a church plant out of that church, a small church. What we started doing is we started helping San Jose to be able to make their bills for a season. And it was a humbling thing for both, for both churches to partner in that way. I just think that it's a God thing. I think it shows love. I think it shows concern. And that's what Paul is saying. And that's why he says in verse 28, Therefore, when I've performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And now I beg you, brethren. Now he's begging of them. Again, this partnership is not just a financial thing, not just a fellowship thing, a friendship thing. He says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive, that you just like uh, strive, like you press together with me in prayers to God for me. And this is Paul saying, I need your prayers. I, I need you to be praying with me. Would you press in and pray with me for this? Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. You know, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to drop this off, but there are Judaizers there. There are those that want to kill me. Could you pray for my protection there? Those that don't believe. Then he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now also pray that they wouldn't be embarrassed by this gift. Pray that they would be receptive when I bring this gift to them. Pray that they would be open to it. And by the way, you could pray that for this body of Christ every time we gather together. Pray that people are receptive to God's word. Pray that when we minister to others, that people are receptive to those things. And then it says, verse 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. I love this. This is this mutual refreshment, this mutual encouragement. How much joy is there? There is so much joy in doing ministry together. There's so much joy in partnering with other people in ministry. Some of the greatest joys that we'll ever experience. And then he closes this chapter with, now the God of peace be with you all, amen. And I love Paul because he always has these conclusions and then there's another chapter. So we are not done yet. Paul is saying, hey, you know, may the God of peace be with you all, amen, but he's not done. And as we close and have the worship team come up, part of this application is this, go. 
go. Go, seek and save that which was lost. Only the Lord can draw people to himself, but you go. Do you remember in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go, therefore, go. Um, in, in the 1970s or 80s, Keith Green had this song, and uh, it said that um, it was basically like Jesus calls us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. So it doesn't mean that you're necessarily called to go outside of your own language or country. You might be, but go to the people around you. Go ask the Lord for those open doors. And don't be so dense like I was and miss it when the door is wide open right by you. The second thing is send. Send. You know, we just had a fundraiser for those that are going to Peru. And we're sending, you know, some of those things, the gifts for the kids in the orphanage. But I mean, there are so many ministries that we send. And, and I realize that it's such a blessing to partner with these people. You know, my prayer is that as you partner with people that the Lord puts on your heart, maybe you're going to send people. Maybe you're going to help financially. Maybe you're going to pray. Maybe you're going to go. Maybe you're going to do all three. Go, send. Another application, let them go. Let them go. For Paul to be a missionary, the church in Antioch had to let him and Barnabas go. It, it's hard. I'll tell you, we were sitting, you know, on Friday night eating dinner with Ryan and Nicole and just thinking, man, Ryan and Nicole are so great for this area. They would just be awesome ministering. But you know what? God says, let go. And we have to let go. And that's hard as a parent to say, God, send, send my kids wherever you want to send them. Do whatever you want to do through them. I don't want to like protect them and coddle them and keep them in a bubble. God's going to be with them. And by the way, we're not always guaranteed that it's going to be all safe and cozy and comfortable. It could be very hard and difficult and dangerous even. But it's my heart to say, God, go. God, send us. God, use us to go. Help us to send other people to go. And then to be unified in that fellowship because Paul writing to the Romans, I, I don't know what it was like, but um, I, would, I would think Paul was delayed to getting them for three, to them for three years. By the time he got to them, he didn't come the way that he wanted to come. He came in chains and he was a prisoner. But as he came as a prisoner, there were Christians that were able to meet with him in Rome. They were able to talk to him. I just believe that God had knit their hearts together. There was this fellowship of unity. May the Lord cause that to happen in our midst, between us, between other believers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you gave us the example. Lord, you sent your son to us. Jesus, you came in the form of a, a man in, in human um, form to witness to us, to live amongst us. Thank you, Jesus, that it was not just your words, but it was words and deeds. Thank you that you died for us, that you demonstrated your own love for us. And that while we were at enmity against you, you died for us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to partner with you in the ministry that you've given to us. And now, Lord, we want to submit all of our plans to you. Lord, if there are things that we have not been obedient in, and you're telling us to go and fear or convenience or just laziness is getting in the way of doing what you've called us to do, Lord, we want to repent. We want to change and say, God, use us. 
Lord, if you are calling us in a direction and we have been going in a different direction, maybe even unintentionally, Lord, would you just move us into the ways that you want us to go? Show us, Lord, where those ministries are, the people, God, that you want us to come in contact with. We submit our plans to you. Lord, if you want us to stop, we just want to stop. We just want to wait upon you. So Jesus, today we are grateful for Paul. We're grateful for um, this letter to the Romans. Lord, may it be us taking this letter upon ourselves as a letter to us as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.